Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. This is KSL's Religion Today, a weekly look at religion and spirituality here at home and around the world. Now, here's your host, Martin Tanner, on KSL News Radio. Welcome. This is Religion Today. I'm your host, Martin Tanner. Today's show is about whether or not the words Christ and Messiah and baptism in the Book of Mormon are anachronistic and somehow show that the Book of Mormon could not be an ancient document. This is the claim that a number of critics have made, and I want to address it because the gist of their claims are something that's important to respond to. Now, somebody may say, well, we don't care what the critics do, and we don't care what the critics say. Let me tell you why we should pay a little bit of attention to the critics. First of all, they keep us on our toes. Every time they come up with some other criticism, some new thing, or recycle an old one, if it's new to you and you have not seen these criticisms, you may wonder if they're true or not. And it's important that we study out our gospel message and our restoration message, understand our church's teachings and scriptures, and know that they are true and accurate. Another reason is that we shouldn't be afraid of critics. Every single time criticism of the church and the Book of Mormon happen, membership actually increases. I have a good scholar who's a friend uh, named Matt Roper, who quite a few years ago did a research project that correlated church growth, in other words, new members joining, and new anti-Moran publications that come out. And there was a correlation. Every time there are new anti-Latter-day Saint publications, critical publications, church membership actually grows. Therefore, we should not be afraid of the critics. And sort of in conjunction with that, let me tell you this. Every single time I have responded to critics and done not a superficial look at what they say, but followed every single aspect of their criticisms down to the very bitter end and done an extremely thorough research on the point that's made, I find out they're wrong. They're either misstating the facts or don't know the complete facts and the conclusions that they draw are inevitably inaccurate. And so I don't exactly care for the critics, but I also never worry about them. Think about it this way. As members of the church, 
we have an unfair advantage when we are dealing with any comments of critics. We have the truth and they don't. That's a pretty good unfair advantage. I don't know if I should use the word unfair. That's a pretty great reason to not fear the critics might be another way to say it. All right. So with that little background, that's why I'm diving into this topic today. Are the words Christ and Messiah and baptism found in the Book of Mormon before the birth of Jesus in the flesh, are those anachronistic statements? Well, let's take a look at this. The word Christ and Messiah are used several hundred times throughout the Book of Mormon. Christ appears 99 times. The word Messiah appears 13 times. The first instance of the word Christ in the Book of Mormon dates, according to the Book of Mormon narrative itself, at between 559 and 545 B.C. This is in Second Nephi chapter 10, verse 3. So if that's the case, how could somebody be talking about Christ in 559 B.C.? There's... Another even slightly earlier reference in First Nephi chapter 1, verse 19. Um, that's the first instance of the word Messiah. So Messiah dates to 600 B.C. in First Nephi chapter 1, verse 19, and Christ dates to about 559 or so in Second Nephi chapter 10, verse 3. Well, let's see if these kinds of criticisms really stand up. They don't. And here is why. As a matter of fact, one of the most important things to realize is what translation what a translation is. Let's give an example dealing with the word Christ and, and be very, very specific. For example, If we go into the Book of Mormon and we're reading these terms Christ and Jesus and baptism before Christ, the claim is that since we're before before the time of Christ, that we would not have those. In other words, if we actually could look at the golden plates, they were written not in Greek which is the basis for the word Christ or Christos. And the claim is the word Messiah is is an English word. Well, that's that's bogus. The word Christ is is an English word too, and it comes from Greek. Messiah is an English word, but it comes from Hebrew. And if you were to go back and look at the golden plates and saw that they were written— in Hebrew, in some kind of Reformed Egyptian characters or writing, but the gist of them would be Hebrew, certainly they would not be using a Greek word. That was before Alexander the Great's conquest and influence on Judaism in 300 BC. And, and these two events, the, the use of the word Messiah in First Nephi 119, goes to 600 BC and Messiah or excuse me Christ again is about 559 in second Nephi chapter 10 verse 3 so 
Messiah and Christ, those words would have appeared in Hebrew, written in reformed in written in some kind of reformed Egyptian. And the word Messiah, if a Christian were to translate the word Messiah from an ancient Jewish text, a Christian could use interchangeably the words Christ and Messiah to designate the same person. Because as Christians, we believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so it's perfectly acceptable for any Christian to translate a word in an ancient document, pre-Christian document, into what our religion believes it means. Therefore, this is not an anachronism. It is absolutely not an anachronism. Let's take a look at a little bit more of a deep dive into this. Christ is an English translation or transliteration, really, of a Greek word for anointed one, translated precisely as Christos. In its more common form, that now says Christ. And if you look at it, it's synonymous with the Hebrew term Messiah, Messiah, Messiah. Interestingly enough, we do have the word Messiah in the Book of Mormon. Messiah or Messiah, Messiah means anointed one. Go, go to the source. Go to the Encyclopedia of Judaism. It says it's the anointed one. Anointed one means a chosen one, and that's what Christians believe Jesus is. He's the chosen one, the Son of God, the one chosen to atone for our sins. Therefore, any reference in pre-Christian times by a Christian to a Messiah can properly be translated as Christ. All right, a little bit more on this when we come back, and I'll give you some examples. Stay tuned. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Religion Today with host Martin Tanner continues on KSL News Radio. We're back. This is Religion Today. I'm your host, Martin Tanner. If you have a question or comment about this or any other program, feel free to send me an email. Send it to martinstanner at gmail.com. Martinstanner at gmail.com, and I will be happy to respond. Let's take a look at some examples 
outside of the LDS faith that confirm that this kind of translation is entirely appropriate. In some of the earliest and best manuscripts of the New Testament, if you go to the book of Jude and you read them, it says something a little bit different from what we read in our King James Bibles. And it even says something a little bit different than most of the modern translations. The modern translations, including the King James Bible, which isn't quite so modern, say that although you have forgotten it, you once knew that this was true, that the Lord saved the people out of, the chil- out of Egypt. The Lord saved the children of Israel out of Egypt. Now, in this earliest and best manuscript and several other early and good manuscripts, it reads a little bit differently. It says, though you have forgotten it, you once knew that Jesus saved the children of Israel out of Egypt. Now, those who are critics of of the word Christ and Messiah in the Book of Mormon, how could they think that this is a bad translation? Is that anachronistic? It's not anachronistic. The early Christians translated the idea that Jesus was the one that saved the children of Israel out of Egypt. If the early Christians can tra- can translate that marvelous being, that deity that saved the children of Israel out of Egypt as Jesus, why can't Latter-day Saints do the same thing in the Book of Mormon? The answer is they certainly can. So another way to approach this is to say that a good translation is something that renders into English the very best way, the underlying meaning that was written down in Hebrew. And if you do that, there's nothing wrong with translating anywhere in the Book of Mormon, either Messiah or Jesus. And another comment here is that it's pretty much uh, indistinguishable or, or impossible to distinguish where Jesus Christ and Messiah are found translated in the Book of Mormon. They're both readily used interchangeably. Why? Because for Latter-day Saints, for Christians, there really is no difference. So let's take a look at some real scholars who've discussed this. Hugh Nibley. BYU professor extraordinaire postulated that the word Messiah could have been derived from Arabic rather than Hebrew. And he's probably right. If you go back far enough, Arabic is not mentioned as one of the languages in which the gold plates were written, but he's talking about something that's even earlier. In other words, the the idea that someone was anointed didn't originate with Jews. This is something that was found in a number of different Arabic or Arab groups 
including the Jews. All right, so let's, before our time runs out, take a look at baptism. The same thing applies here. If we were to look at the golden plates and assume that they were written in Hebrew using some kind of Reformed Egyptian, what we would probably read is something like mikvah. You say, what, what is, what is mikvah? Well, that's a Jewish word, and it means a ritual immersion or cleansing in a special place. There were mikvah, mikvah baths that were made by the ancient Jews. They've been found amongst the Dead Sea Scrolls community and in many other ancient communities. And so, if you read mikvah on the plates of the Book of, the Book of Mormon, you might read something along the lines of, uh, in, in, in Hebrew, and if you want to come unto the Messiah and join the organization, the congregation that follows the Messiah, what have you against being immersed in mikvah and being cleaned or cleansed? And then if you said that in modern-day English that isn't quite so um, difficult and, and unwieldy, and in the way that we do would say it, you, you would use the Greek word. You would say, what have ye against being baptized into the church that follows the Messiah, or the Savior, or Jesus, or Christ? All of those words are, are virtually indistinguishable. And, and so, what I'm trying to tell you is baptism as a word comes from Greek, and so, no, it was not really used in the Jewish context earlier than the time of Christ. But the meaning of it and the actual ritual of immersion to cleanse oneself or to join the Jewish faith or later the Reformed Jewish faith that we call Christianity is something that is found way before the time of Christ. Ritual baptism or immersion in mikvah style is something that predates Christ by many, many, many centuries and perhaps millennia. And if we take a look at LDS Scripture and the Pearl of Great Price, there are references to the baptism of, uh, of Adam and Others. And so this idea of ritual cleansing to enter into a covenant with God and to join a religion, that's something that is very, very ancient. And translating it as baptism, there's nothing wrong with that. I'll bring up another one. Uh, we've got another minute or two left. Similar comments are made about the reference to the word Bible in the Book of Mormon. Well, it's, it's true. The word Bible is more recent than pre-Christian eras. Back then, they had a various 
groups of scrolls, but they weren't assembled into the Bible until the time of, of Christians. The Jews, before the time of Christ, had a number of authoritative books, but they were not assembled into a single book. The word Bible means books, and its origin is Latin from Biblia, which comes from a Greek word meaning books. The Book of Mormon has this famous phrase, a Bible, a Bible. And that is a perfectly valid translation, even though it certainly is from an event that happened well before the time of Christ. Second Nephi, chapter 29, verses 3 through 6. And because my word shall hiss forth, many of the Gentiles shall say, a Bible, a Bible. We've got a Bible, and there cannot be any more Bible. We've got a Bible, and we need no more Bible. How could somebody centuries before the time of Christ say that? Well, the answer is, first of all, they were talking about the future, but second of all, the actual words there were probably a reference to sacred writing, sacred books that would have been the equivalent of the canon. I hope this has made a little bit of sense and that I've been clear enough about this. Join me again next week. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was senseless. And I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately... We're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.